Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast was recorded remotely as we practice state-recommended guidelines for social distancing. We would like to express our deepest gratitude to those working in essential jobs and to those in the healthcare industry. Welcome to the club that you're going to want to join. From Offscript Media, this is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to episode one of NordPod. What a great way to kick off this series because I will be speaking on today's show with the man, the myth, the legend, Peter Saltonstall, president and CEO of Nord. Peter's been at the helm of Nord since 2008. This guy has a storied 30-year history of leadership in the public and private sector with tons of nonprofit advocate work under his belt. He's grown Nord into a powerhouse of influence and impact. Don't forget, I'm a member of Nord. I love Nord. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Maybe you'll learn something. Who knows? So without further ado, my chat with Peter Saltonstall. Enjoy. Peter, it is such an honor to speak to you, especially on this inaugural episode of NordPod. I mentioned before the show that I'm a member of Nord, the club that no one wants to belong to because I was born with brain cancer um, and it manifested in my 20s. And the first organization I was made aware of was Nord. And here we are 25 years later, helping your organization, supporting it to grow even more influential with a global podcast out there. And there's no one more appropriate and right there at the ready at the helm to lead this than you. So here you are, and it's NordPod. How do you feel? Um, I'm excited, and I thank you for inviting me to be here. And I think uh, we look forward to providing as much advice and uh, as we can to the community. And I'm glad that you, you've been a member for 25 years. Um, you started when we were fairly young, and uh, we've come a long way since then. So look forward to chatting about it. So you've been running the National Organization of Rare Disorders for almost 30 years or over 30 years? The organization's been in existence now for 37 years. It was actually founded by, uh, the original founder's name was Abby Myers, and she was a mom in, in Connecticut. And I have been, uh, she retired in 2008, and I took over in 2008, so I've been here now for 12 years. And what is your particular relationship to the rare disease community? Well, I actually have a rare neurological disease that uh, doesn't allow me to um, to read off of a teleprompter, for example. There's a problem with a misfire, if you will, in the brain, um, and it's uh, it's an issue that uh, I've had was born with and have lived my life with. And uh, when I 
My background has been basically running hospitals through my entire career. And as I reached uh, later years in my career, had the opportunity to make some changes and uh, the Nord opportunity opened up and I thought no better place to go um, to try to help uh, patients with rare diseases, make sure that uh, there were therapies available for them. So 12 years ago, bit the bullet, left corporate America and uh, came to run the nonprofits and have been here ever since. What, what must have been like for you growing up, not knowing or knowing that you had this disorder from birth? Well, I was, um, it wasn't diagnosed until I was in high school. And um, I'm, um, you know, I'm a guy that's now in his early 70s. And so I was diagnosed back in a time when the science wasn't as good. And um, people really, as I grew up, thought that um, I wasn't trying very hard in school. And so it was always a constant issue because it, it, also affects it's a type of dyslexia if you will and so i've always had this i've always had the problem and it was really difficult as i grew up trying to trying to read and then to speak in some instances um after reading documents and so on and um, i've just uh, i've learned to master it and uh was able to be successful enough to go uh run a major teaching hospital so it's uh it just lets you know that if you put your mind to it and you try hard uh, there's some things that you can overcome so that's been the, that's the salt and stall story. Yeah. I mean, you got to work with what you got and do your best. Uh, I wanted to thank you for your service to our country. I understand you're a veteran. And how did that play into your leadership style in moving through the healthcare system and to start uh, taking the reins of a, 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 one of the most influential nonprofit communities in the world? Well, it's uh, it, it was a it was an interesting opportunity for me from the standpoint of I bring basically a business background and an advocacy background to Nord. I mean, prior to coming, I I ran a hospital. I've actually started a couple of companies, and uh, coming to a nonprofit that was had a, a very very strong mission, um, but was run by essentially a mom who brought. A, a ton of passion to the organization, but didn't necessarily bring the business skills it needed to to take it to the next level was for me a real opportunity and a challenge and something that excited me and gave me the opportunity to draw on my skills, but to also um, address some of the issues that I was having personally and wanted to try to help other patients uh, know that there was a vehicle for them, if you will, um, Nord being the vehicle to uh, to help them um, gain access to uh, whatever tools they needed. As Nord's mission is to is to try to provide those tools to to the community in general. So it was a it was an interesting opportunity, something that I uh, really embraced and uh, have been here, as I say, for the last twelve years. And boy, the organization has grown. I can tell you that when I came, we had a, a website that had about. 250,000 people coming to it on an annual basis, and Nord now has about a million, 300,000 people coming to it a month. So we've grown this organization to a worldwide organization that uh, is reached by, um, I think the most recent number is somewhere in the, the 200s of countries that reach out to us regularly looking for information, guidance, help, connection, whatever, uh, in the rare disease space. So we really see ourselves as the, the global voice of the rare disease community. And I'm happy to be leading it. So for those listening to episode one here of NordPod, this very well may be their first introduction to what Nord is. So let's discuss what is the mission of Nord? Well, the mission of Nord, um, you know, is, is fairly broad, but the, the, I can, I can break it down into doing everything that we can do to help patients who have rare diseases 
um, get access. Um, we fund research, um, basically work on public policy to make sure that there are incentives here so that companies can develop therapies and want to be in the space. Um, educating patient organizations to make sure that they know how to advocate appropriately. Uh, the mission is to really bring all the various services, anything that a patient organization needs to the marketplace, and then anything that business needs to be able to make sure that they are appropriately incentivized to want to be in the space are all things that, uh, that NORD does. I love speaking with other nonprofit CEOs. We're kind of a rare breed. It's not like there's some peer group living around the corner that we could just show up at every day and get some therapy as leaders. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed when running Stupid Cancer and, and founding and running Stupid Cancer was being able to know that I'm, I am trying to make things suck a little less for the next me. And do you feel that sense of accomplishment every day? I understand that feeling, and um, I think that as I go back and look at the accomplishments over the last 12 years with Nord, that we've, we've definitely um, improved it, uh, not only for me and for my the, the next Peter Saltonstall or Abby Myers, but the most important part for me is that we've improved it for patients and that we have really done a number of different things from a legislative perspective or from an FDA perspective that will ultimately make the pathway, I hope, easier for patients in the future. And when I say easier for patients, that's not a cure, but that's, a, that's putting in place processes and procedures, if you will, that allow drugs to be made more efficiently, that capitalize on what's going on with the genome, that basically make sure that... Um, the pathways for having more drugs on the market um, clearly, you know, is something that's going to help patients. I go back and say that prior to Nord being um, developed back in 1983, there were like 34 patients. There were 34 drugs for orphan diseases. Now they're 600, and so uh, helping lead that charge across the community um, is something that's really gratifying and and satisfying to me. And I hope that we're building the framework so that the next person can take it, uh, can continue on and build from here. I love that you just mentioned the explosion, almost exponential explosion of drug development from, you know, 30, 40 years ago till today. In oncology, we've seen that as well, the Human Genome Project and all the gene therapy strategies that are coming out of the, the brilliant minds of the health tech sector out there. I remember in 2009, the FDA maybe approved like eight drugs, and last year they approved like 72 drugs. So the Orphan Drug Act uh, is, is coming up on like 36, 37 years old, I think. Uh, where are you in terms of the 2.0? Are there tweaks? Are there fixes? Does it need to adapt and adopt to all this new modern science coming to market? I think that's a great question. And I, uh, it's 37 years old. It was birthed in January of 83. Um, and I think that um, science has progressed um, rapidly over these years, as you well know, and especially over the last five to 10 years. I mean, the genome has really uh, taken us to a different place. And I think that Nord is, as always, uh, trying to make sure that the, the Orphan Drug Act represents uh, the the original intent, if you will, and um, and that was to make sure that there were pathways available for industry to be able to make some make you know make a profit, um, and also um, the fact that we wanted to see more 
more and more companies coming into the space because of that, and therefore more and more therapies. And I think we've accomplished that. I think we're trying to look carefully right now at making sure you, you've probably seen in the, in the paper that um, orphan drugs are, are expensive. And uh, we, we were hearing a lot before this pandemic about drug pricing and orphans being the problem. And I will tell you that we've done a, a lot of work on the drug pricing issue and recognize that if you take a look at the overall drug spend in this country, which is about $350 billion that on an annual basis, that uh, dr the, the orphan drugs only make up about 9.2% of that spend. So while prices are expensive, the populations that they're spread over are much smaller. Therefore, we don't think that that pricing is a big issue. But that's an issue that we need to pay a lot of attention to because people are coming back and saying to us, my goodness, we need to change the Orphan Drug Act because it's being abused. Um, so Nord spends a lot of its time on doing empirical research, if you will, and bringing back data that we can use with Congress, we can use with FDA, we can use with any other authority that we need to use it with that basically states the case about orphans, takes the emotion out of making the decision, and, and provides facts so that people can make better decisions about orphan drugs. So to answer your question more directly, we are always looking at and paying attention to what's happening in the marketplace, working with Congress, and listening to issues that they have, because we've had Numerous times where people have said we need to open up the Orphan Drug Act, and we come back and have those conversations, produce the data. And so far, um, you know, we, it has not changed. And I'm concerned that making changes to the Orphan Drug Act, uh, may, once you open it up, may end up taking away all of the good that's happened. And it's been a very successful piece of legislation. So candidly, Nord's watching it carefully. And I think as we move more to personalized medicine now, and you start to see therapies for individuals, ends of one, um, and small populations, that there's going to be more challenges for us as we move forward, looking at that and trying to explain that, and maybe perhaps adapting to that perhaps differently than we are right now. No, it's an incredibly astute perspective. No, it is. It, it, you have a, I mean, it's very well known in the industry that Nord has a phenomenal relationship with the FDA, an enviable one at that. And you work with them to pass more drugs in the orphan sector than, than anyone else at the time. And uh, you're right. It could be a Pandora's box to open it up now, especially in this climate or in the cycle or wherever we are in the, in the political spectrum out there. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I put on my stupid cancer CEO hat for a second. All these questions of like, what do you do? What's your impact, right? The magic word of impact that no one really understands except us because we work and do it every day. Like for the for the tangibles out there, I mean, ODA was a long time ago, but Nord has accomplished so many things that fly under the radar that you can only put so many pages up on a website and do so many press releases and videos about. If you were to look back at your history there since 2008, I think you said, let's let's look at if you were to rank like the top three most incredible accomplishments that have been achieved, what would you, what would you say those were? Well, I think um, that's a great question. If you go back to 2008, it was, for me, it's, it's and, and I'm going to go back to the FDA, it's having sat with Janet Woodcock in um, her office back in like 2010 and saying to her, if there was anything that Nord could do to help the FDA expedite the drug approval process, and um, de-risk it, what would that be? And she looked at me and she said, you know, the one thing that we need more than anything is longitudinal natural history data to allow our review divisions to be able to make better decisions, if you will. And nobody is really doing that in any kind of uh, 
concerted and formalized way. So I said to her, um, Nord would be happy to try to take on that challenge. And so it came back, sat with our board, sat with our management team. And over a couple of year period, we basically built a longitudinal natural natural history system software platform. You should know I do have some software background uh, in the company that I own. And so we went back to the FDA and said to Janet, listen, we're going to put this together and we're going to build this for you. Um, and what we want to do is we want, we'll bring the patient organization and we will bring the, the software and we need you to bring the review division people to help us identify the issues in those specific disease states. And we will start to capture that longitudinal natural history and bring it back to you. As of today, we have, I believe it's now 47 individual disease states that we're capturing data on and providing it back to the FDA and working with the FDA, enough so that in this past year, 2019, that just ended, they came to us and said that they wanted to use that data and some of our system in a uh, rare disease research accelerator uh, to help try to expand that and talk more to the to everybody about the importance of, of longitudinal natural history and trying to standardize that in some fashion. So I would say for me, that's a, that was a long-term process. It was a lot of um, investment by Nord to, uh, to build the software. It was working with our patient organizations of which we have 311 that are, that are members right now and getting them to some of them to, to want to be guinea pigs as we started this and then bringing the review divisions in. And it's been a huge success. And um, all I can tell you is in certain areas, there are places where we're, we're identifying biomarkers now that are coming out of that longitudinal natural history that, that weren't there before that um, are helping us move toward um, cures in some of those, I say cures, therapies in those areas. So I'm, I think that's really exciting. And um, I will add one other piece. I think working on Obamacare, if you will, and th and that legislation and being the the lead organization or one of the lead organizations that was really pushing for protections against pre-existing conditions and insurance coverage and so on are two of the other really broad-based uh, things that we uh, I would highlight quickly. Back with our guest after the break. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, and that's the incredible parallel that I've always had this 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 fondness for what Nord does and the cancer community does. I thought, yeah, there is drug pricing. There is access issues. It, there's a different, obviously, Tomber 
and cadence to, you know, in cancer, you kind of want an endpoint. And if you're lucky, you get an endpoint and you deal with your new, new normal after the endpoint. Rare disease is a wholly different lifestyle. It's a wholly different chronic way to understand your space in the world and what your resources are when there isn't a finite finish line in many, many cases out there. But the commonalities around, and I heard you talk about this and I, it's brilliant, you know, this idea of, of, you know, the, the, I think this word gives people highs, but prior authorization was a huge narrative in oncology out there as more of these drugs came to market, which are really important and could really help you out there. And I was listening to an interview you gave where prior authorizations went from like 30% to 50% to like a hundred percent of people now are having prior authorization challenges and the payer system hasn't really kept up with the science, but you do have a very robust patient assistance copay program, correct? We do. As a matter of fact, in 1987, um, we were the first to to, uh, to launch patient assistance. And um, we have been doing patient assistance for since then and uh, do it now for between eight to 10,000 patients a year. Um, and it's a very robust program. We have a call center that, that works with those patients. Companies make donations to us and we um, administer the funds. And it's been, um, it's been a huge success and it's a key part of the fabric of Nord that uh, we don't talk a lot about. Um, industry's aware and patients are aware it's there, but we don't, um, we don't talk about it as much as some of the other successes. Yeah. And honestly, that's where really where the rubber hits the road. You are genuinely tactically, tangibly affecting someone's life by offering them a pathway to a to a, to a drug or a medication out there that won't break the bank, ideally, in that sense. And maybe that's a entirely other episode we could do about that. That's a rabbit hole's worth of conversations out there. But in terms of people learning what Nord is, who you are, what you stand for, what your brand means out there, you have been incredibly generous and incredibly transparent in making sure that you can help as many people as possible through your copay assistance programs. And that shouldn't be understated. I, that's correct. And um, we have, I mean, ideally for us, copay is, um, is an important vehicle for us because of, the, of what it does for patients. I mean, we ideally would like to see copay go away. I mean, that's our goal. That would mean that things are affordable and people could could get access to them without having to have copay assistance. But we don't see that happening um, now or in the near future. And so we are uh, investing more and more in copay. We've just put new systems in place. We do, um, we do travel and lodging programs. We make sure that if, if you're getting a drug and there are tests that need to be done prior to that to be able to get the therapy, that we can cover those. We, if the therapy is uh, being delivered in St. Louis and you live in Boise, Idaho, we make travel plans to get you there. So Nord basically provides a complete package of copay assistance services. And um, we are... Um, you know, I, I hate to say, unfortunately, we're seeing that grow, but we are seeing that 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 assistance grow. And I, I say unfortunately because that means that people still can't afford the therapies, and or that the therapies may be expensive. Um, but that's uh, you know that's that's another issue that we continue to work on. But the copay assistance is a key part of our fabric, who we are, what we do, and um, we treat patients. Uh, we spend as much time on the phone with them as we need to, and uh, help them get whatever it is that they need. So um, that's just a key part of the overall organization. Yeah. And, and tangentially to that, living in the reality that is the American healthcare system as it is right now today, we both agree 
Uh, I mean, in the jargon of advocacy, there's liberties, there's freedoms, there's entitlements, but there's also rights. And rights can be a controversial word sometimes, but we both agree that everyone in this country should have a right to access the medications that are right for them. You put out drug pricing principles. I've not seen that before, and that's something also that our listeners should know that you did this. It's what you stand for. It's what the organization is behind. Can you comment briefly about what the drug pricing principles philosophy was for you? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. And we thought that um, with all of the, I'll call it noise in the marketplace on drug pricing over the last uh, couple of years, that it was really important for us to take a stand and to be transparent about our feelings about drug pricing. And, um, and so we did a lot of work. We have an advocacy committee, as it's called, which is made up of community patient organizations and other involved community members. There's no industry on it. And they basically worked with us to establish what we felt would be representative of the community and meet the mission of the organization and make those public, put them on our website so that people can read them and be completely transparent. And so we did that this last year in 19. And um, I think it was um, a good step for us and an important step for us. And, uh, you know, for Congress, when we go up and we talk to them about various things, uh, we can tell them that we are completely transparent, and we put these up, and you can go, you can go, uh, you can go read them and and see how we feel about a particular item or or topic. And when we talk to in, because we are 501c3, we, we have to raise money to, to keep the organization going. When we talk to industry, sometimes industry has questions and we refer them back to, uh, back to our pricing principles if there's, if there's an issue around the price or they're, they're wondering where we are. So it was just an effort to really be completely transparent on that issue. And it's been, been well received. Peter, one thing I know that as nonprofit CEO leaders that we will agree on and commiserate on endlessly is through this lens of transparency, I was adamant throughout the 15 years that I founded and ran that organization that they would never be industry on our board, on a committee, uh, anywhere even remotely related to how we operate. And being able to, A, claim that, but prove that would give us this sense of trust and transparency. And yet, we still got flack for being in industry's pocket. And it was this never-ending cycle of trying to prove to people, but still be honest. Yes, look, here's our board. There's no one on there. You are very, uh, you're you are in that camp as a leader, and I'd love you to comment and commiserate with me about what it's been like to deal with that. Matthew, great question, and I live that every single day. Nord's bylaws um, and. Uh, committees have mandated that there's no industry on our board, no industry involved in the governance of the organization in any way. So <clears throat> we don't have any industry on our board, and we have maintained that integrity for the 37 years that we've been in existence. I will tell you that I still take flack. You're right. I go up on the Hill and Senator Grassley says, you take a lot of donations from, from industry. I'm sure that must influence your public policy in some way. And I come back, my comment to him was, no, it doesn't. We have this advocacy committee that's made up of patient organizations. They make all of the decisions. And by the way, if you want to see how it works, send your staff down or you can come and we, you can visit us while, we, while you see them deliberate and make the decisions and then advise the Nord team on how to move forward. Um, we, we actually had those conversations with Senator Grassley's staff and I, you know, it calmed them down and that problem went away. 
but it is a constant issue. I hear about it from other people continually. And all I can say is that we, we do accept industry donations, perfectly legal. Nothing says, nobody says you can't do that, but we, it's firewalled off from everything we do, our public policy, our patient assistance programs, and so on. Um, Everything that we take is unrestricted money or restricted to a specific kind of uh, patient assistance program or something um, in that area, but it doesn't influence us at all in anything that we do. That's the, if you were to ask me what Nord's IP is, it's, that's our integrity. That's who we are. We are fiercely independent and we will walk away from a donation. Um, if somebody's coming to us trying to say, we would like you to do this and we'll give it to you for this. We say, no, thank you. And, uh, that independence is something that, as I say, is our IP and has kept us, um, at the forefront, if you will, and made us uniquely different than I would say almost all the other, especially the umbrella organizations that have have popped up in the last few years because of the internet, all have industry on their board. Industry plays a significant role in helping them establish their policy standards and so on. We just haven't gone there because we want to be the voice of the patient. And you can only do that by not having industry involved in those conversations. And what a great way to button up episode one of NordPod with Peter Saltonstall, president and CEO, transparent, honest. This is the community you didn't know you needed, that you didn't want to be a part of, but it becomes your family. It becomes your home. And we are all the voice of rare disease. Peter, thank you for being here. Matthew, thank you very much for the opportunity. And we look forward to, to joining you on further podcasts as, uh, as they grow. More to come, my friends. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit nordpod.org.